Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Riche, and I am chiming in from my little cabin here in Pemberton, British Columbia, where I'm home with my daughter. Today, it is spring break. She's a little gymnast, and she um, hurt her ankle, unfortunately, because we put up some gymnastic bars in our living room uh, in the middle of COVID. And you know, all it does is it just takes one of those moments where the mattress is kicked out of the way and she went flying and landed on the hardwood floors. So she's being a little trooper here as she's working with me as I host podcasts and do these intros and outros and you know bring good information to you about how you can use food as medicine to heal your body and to not only manage your diseases but also reverse them as well so today i just want to give a little shout out to my daughter for being amazing um well i am you know doing my work and doing what every other parent is doing across the globe right now which is juggling work and juggling kids and juggling life and juggling mindset and everything else that needs to be managed during these interesting times that we're having. I also just want to give a shout out out there to our staff. You have been incredible at the Green Mustache. You've been incredible at Richer Health and through hosting 22 Million Strong as well. It has um, been an interesting time with everybody working from home. It definitely does mix up the way we are used to doing work. I know for myself, I love having my big whiteboard and the staff can gather around and we can feed off of each other's vibes and energy and really things flow really well. But I have to say our staff, has a, have, we've adapted really well, not just into using Zoom, but even on our phone calls, you know, that everybody's been really upbeat and, um, and it has been hard on a lot of people. I've chatted with quite a number of people this week from some of them are suppliers to other organizations that we deal with through our businesses. And I always just start off with that very simple question, which is not, hey, how are you doing? But hey, how have you been handling things through COVID? Like, how has it been on you mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? And I'm telling you, every time I ask that question, every single person has responded in such a beautiful, authentic, open way where they've really come clean about the fact that it has been hard, especially for those individuals that don't have children to mix up the day. They don't have colleagues that they can banter with back and forth and catch up within the staff room or, you know, the water cooler. Um, so it's important if you know anybody out there that doesn't have kids, that's at home alone, that's isolating alone, please reach out to them and just ask them that question. You know, how are you really doing? And let them open up. And then also maybe share some stories that could, you know, help help them through this time. Maybe it's a good book or a good movie, or you meet them in the park and you socially distance, but at least you're giving people the opportunity to, you know, let you know what they need. Um, you can even cook a meal together and sit on Zoom and eat it and catch up. My girls have been, you know, they watch movies with each other on Zoom as they chat back and forth with their friends. And, you know, they've been able to somewhat navigate um, the ups and downs of COVID just by getting really creative. But 
first thing we have to do is check in with those people that you know around you. Make sure that they are being asked how they truly are really doing because we don't want anybody to fall through the cracks during this time. So today's podcast, I am very excited to have Dr. Esther Agnoni on our show. And we are going to dive into the world of all things holistic. But one thing that's important to know about Dr. Agnoni is the fact that she is a pharmacist turned health and wellness coach. So she really takes health to the next level. She's got this incredible background, uh, you know, all around the, the physics, biophysics, biochemistry and chemistry of, um, you know, health and wellness in our bodies and the medicines that are being distributed out there. But, you know, her life really took a, a left turn. Is it a left turn or a right turn? a pivot as she entered into the world of health and wellness and all the things that were to be discovered there. So Dr. Esther Agnoni, like I said, is a pharmacist, but she's also a diabetes health coach and a functional medicine practitioner. As you know, we had Dr. Doug Pucci on our show um, last week, and Dr. Doug Pucci is also a functional medicine doctor, but with a chiropractic background. And what I love about functional medicine is that anybody can become a practitioner. If you hold a medical designation or a health practitioner designation, you can go and study functional medicine. And really, I think there's going to be a turning point in the future. I wish it was the near future where every doctor was just trained in functional medicine as a result of going through medical school. Every pharmacist would be trained in that. Every chiropractor, every educator, even my kids' teachers in elementary school really should be trained in certain aspects of functional medicine so that we can all understand health from a holistic perspective. So Dr. Esther Agnoni, for 14 years, she was an accessible um, healthcare provider, seeing people with diabetes and, you know, handing out prescriptions and then more and more medications would be given to these patients that she would see. And of course, she saw that they had wounds that would not heal. And they would get their essential medical tests done and their procedures done. But, you know, as those procedures were delayed, their blood sugar levels that were initially under control with the medications, they would, of course, lead to further health concerns. For example, she was watching many young people go blind. So the medications weren't really keeping anything under control at all. So she became a diabetes health coach so she could fill that necessary gap and provide a plan or a system and also the necessary support and accountability to the people who were falling through the cracks. And so she could also help them get their numbers and conditions under control. Now she knew that wasn't going to happen with the medications alone. So she stepped in to learn about what other steps that you could take to get these conditions under control. And as a result, Esther found that her clients felt more energized, they reduced their blood sugar levels, they reduced their stress, their weight went down, and they had fewer and fewer doctor visits. And not only that, they had stronger immune systems as a result. So on our show today, we are going to dive into Esther's life, what brought her to this intersection where she decided to switch and become a healthcare coach. Not switch necessarily because she 
has trained as a pharmacist and will always be a pharmacist, but she also took that extra initiative to help those patients that she would see every single day, those customers who were coming by for their prescriptions. And she really is an inspiration, I think, not just to myself, but really to any other health practitioner out there who also wants to make a similar jump like that. Because it doesn't mean you have to leave your post, leave your career, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what you can do is add this extra level of education around functional medicine and holistic health care and health and wellness um, care to your existing practice. It can be done and it needs to be done. And we need more and more people who are brave and courageous like Esther and Yoni is to be able to do that. So let's dive into the show and learn about everything that Esther is doing and everything she's become to her patients, understanding food as medicine, sleep as medicine, and all the other aspects that she dives into in the show. I'll see you at the end, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, and on today's show, we have Esther Onyoni. Welcome, Esther, to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for welcoming me here. Yes, I'm really glad uh, to be able to have you here, um, especially because you are a mother of three children. You are also a pharmacist and now a health and wellness coach as well. And so I definitely want to dive into your journey of, you know, what brought you into pharmacy and then how you discovered the world of, um, you know, diabetes burnout, which is your specialty. I know you have lots of specialties as well beyond that, but that's definitely something that we're going to be talking about, which is near and dear to my heart, because right now I'm doing my PhD, which is focused on reversing diabetes, type 2 diabetes, using metabolic nutrition, um, otherwise known as plant-based whole food as medicine. Um, And that's also culturally appropriate for BIPOC members as well, because one of the things to remember is that all food needs to be culturally appropriate. Um, It's not, there's no one diet that fits all. So tell me, what brought you into wanting to be a pharmacist? What intrigued you the most about it? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, it starts from being young and growing up in um, Kenya. I oh, I can Kenya. hear her in the back. She's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she walked in the room. She'll be in and out. No worries. So I, <laughs> I grew up in Kenya. and. Uh, Knowing that being in Kenya, just uh, the fact that there is malaria, which we suffered from countless times. And uh, the fact that whenever I went to the hospital, I saw that, I saw the people who are suffering with malaria. Somehow as a little kid, I didn't think I was suffering (laughs) that much, but they were suffering and they they go to the government hospital, which is where we mostly went and uh, the, the, people who are there would say, okay, if you don't, first of all, we don't have medicine, so maybe you need to go home and come back tomorrow another day. And that's just not how you treat a condition. And then they would say, if you don't have money, we cannot treat you. So it was just such an unfair treatment to me. I thought these people are suffering, money should not be the reason. They cannot find care. And so I thought, oh my goodness, when I grew up, I really want to do something that could help sick people. But then whenever we went to the pharmacy, that was not there. There was more, okay, 
you need you're, you're struggling with these symptoms this is what you need to take and it just get on your way you're fine you're gonna be fine and I thought okay this is better I could do this and that's just how I got into the thinking about wanting to be a pharmacist I have to say that that's something I kind of buried at the back of my mind I didn't tell anybody because being in Kenya I didn't think you know it's something I we were gonna afford to go to school and you know it was like well I probably if it ever happens, but I didn't think it's something I was ever gonna do. Instead, I thought, well, I'll just do something to do with business after high school. There was no chance for me here. Uh, that dream came true when we came to the US. You know, I thought, oh my gosh, they say America is the land of opportunity, and here it is. So I, I pursued exactly that. Wow. So how did that journey come to be? Like, what did your family move or how did you end up moving to the U.S.? Definitely. Yeah. So my mom applied for a green card and uh, we, usually it's like a lottery thing and we got it. And so the wow. entire family migrated here, uh, you know, and just started over. It was really awesome. We were so excited. We we're here. I think our first apartment was roach infested but we were so excited it didn't matter <laughs> and which state did you first move to new jersey we were in new oh. jersey before now, moving down to North and how old were you at the time when you first arrived i was uh, after high school i was 17 oh wow okay so you yes. actually left all your friends behind and probably extended family as well and yeah and you we totally. were saying mm -hmm. And we were just saying uh, just before we started the interview that you go back every single year. And I love that you are able to do that because you get to have these two perspectives, right? The the land of the free, as they say in, you know, in yes. the United States. And then you go to Nigeria, which is a beautiful, or sorry, you're from Kenya, 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 mm -hmm. yeah, Kenya. From Kenya, which is a beautiful, you know, um, area, part of the world as well. I mean, we know that there's huge tourism that happens there because people are so fascinated by everything, um, yes. everything in Kenya. And so you have this perspective and it's interesting that you wanted to, your dream was to help people have access to medicine and to give people that, you know, people who were suffering and sick. But then you came to the United States, which has such a controversial medical system, right? And so what is, you know, what do you think about the US medical system? You know, there's a lot to think about it, but you know, just some of the, <laughs> the things that you can compare and, and contrast. Well, what I noticed practicing here versus what I saw being practiced there is that there is a lot of access and that was great because you don't necessarily go to the pharmacy and, and be told we can't, we don't have the medication that we don't know when it's going to come in. Here it's like, we don't have it now, but definitely tomorrow it's there. Yeah. Uh, so there is the access issue, which is really awesome. And then uh, there, there is also the part where, I mean, the access, so people are used to medication is there, so it's always going to be there. and it's gonna do whatever we need it to do. We don't have to do anything about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, definitely. And there's good medical schools. I mean, there's a really fantastic medical school in Malawi, which is where I was born. And so the medical expertise is there, but you're right. And a lot of countries, it's access to the actual drugs, access to the technologies mm -hmm. um, and the equipment. And that is really definitely where um, there's a whole lot of room for, you know, opportunity to 
for support and obviously investment in those areas, especially in, you know, a lot of African countries um, compared to the U.S. where we have, and Canada, where we have extensive access to so much of the medication and the technology. But then Mm -hmm. what I find here is um, there's less emphasis on the lifestyle. So, you know, in Africa, you know, you're spending time outdoors. And I know when I was in Malawi visiting my grandmother's village, I was, it was amazing to just see how much sunshine everybody got, to see how much everybody just moved their bodies in healthy ways, not by exercising vigorously in a gym, but by actually just going to fetch water and carrying the babies on your back and working in the field. And then of course, there was also downtime, which a lot of people do not have downtime, you know, in our fast paced developed countries um, because, you know, everybody's going, going, going. Whereas I would watch the entire village just settle as the sun started to settle and they would just sit on their porches and sit outside and feel the breeze come through. And, you know, all the babies would be handed around from like cousins to aunties and you know so the babies were always held versus you know we have a lot of mums who I mean you have a two-year-old that are living in these you know single family dwellings and don't have extended family near them so while we have all of these great you know accesses to medical advances here in North America and we don't necessarily have all of that in a lot of you know African countries at the same time, there's a lifestyle piece that I think we can really learn from and, and try and yes, somehow get back to totally. that, would you say? Totally, because I remember too, when I landed in Kenya, the first time I started going back, I land at the airport, it's around eight in the morning and I see people walking and in my mind, I'm thinking, where are they going? But then I thought, oh, well, never mind. They actually do not necessarily have cars. They got to walk to work and to where they need to go. <laughs> and then also just the downtown piece, downtime piece uh, is, is, is there too, because every time we visit, there's after lunch, we're going to sit down for tea and talk. After dinner, we're going to sit down and talk and have tea. And it's people just invite you to their house, come on in and let's have lunch and let's talk and when you leave you don't have the burden of just being lonely or or not knowing anybody you always feel like there's somebody there around you and in terms of uh, having babies go around with their extended family I felt exactly the same way when I went back and uh, I remember People just carried my children without me have without having to ask me, can we hold him? You know, yeah. like, oh, come on over here and hear something. And so it's totally a different culture when you when you compare. Exactly. Yeah, very, very different. And so then you went to medical school, or uh, well, you do go and study all your sciences, you become a pharmacist. Yeah. And then you went and studied to become a pharmacist. Um, and so through that experience, um, you know, you obviously learned so much about the medical system. You learned so much about um, the medications and, and all of the diseases that you can, you know, help to treat with these medications. And where was the point as a pharmacist that you started to get into the health and wellness coaching side? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So I have to say, I've practiced uh, pharmacy for over 14 years now. And uh, in that time, I did practice as trained 
uh, in the conventional way. Uh, someone is having this condition, they are being diagnosed. So what's next is, uh, this is a medication that is used to uh, manage this condition. These are the side effects to expect, that's it. And so having practice, practiced that long, I noticed for the patients who are having uh, chronic conditions, they, um, they came in and, and especially why I went into diabetes, people with diabetes especially, they came in, first of all, they just got a diagnosis. So the reason they probably got one is they went to the doctor because they were not feeling well, maybe pain that is not explainable. And they came to find out it's uh, neuropathy. So they got a, a, a medication for that. And then they got a medication for their diabetes. So as they walk in, they already started with medication. And then soon enough, another medication was added on uh, another medication to treat whatever side effects. So polypharmacy, it was a lot of that. So every month we're just giving them medication and get to a point I was thinking, okay, now what? Okay, because they seem to still need another, yet another medication for the condition. And then also just when the, when the, the patients were uh, diagnosed, they're given a medication, some were not taking the medicine because now they, instead of asking the doctor in the doctor's office any questions, because they didn't know what to ask, they would go to Dr. Google and they don't know, they, they would read about side effects. Yeah. And then they'll, uh, when I call them a week later, I'll ask, did you start that medication? No, because I'm worried about the side effects. I mean, if the medication says it'll give you whatever GI side effects, they say that, why would I want to start taking it? And, you know, so they delay treat their treatment. And then, um, or, or at this point, they think, oh my goodness, I have the diagnosis now. I can actually pick up and start taking care of myself. So they still put the medication on the side and start going, maybe I'll start a diet. Maybe I'll start working out. They delay their treatment. And then, uh, or just not knowing what to do. Okay, now I have a diagnosis. I'm overwhelmed because what do I eat? Because I wake up in the morning, I have very high blood sugar. I didn't eat anything. What do I do? So there was all that overwhelm because I received phone calls, obviously, from uh, regular clients who would say, um, Am I going to eat lettuce all day? Is this all I can eat? And I kept uh, going, okay, now what do I tell this person? Because maybe it's a weekend, they can't get to their doctor because mostly it, we, we're not going to tell them, take an extra dose of your medication because that's also not the best thing to do because uh, it will affect your blood sugars or whatever it needs to affect. So, you know, our, our, our responses were, uh, you need to, go back to your doctor and it's COVID era, they're not seeing their doctor or their appointments for their doctors are far away. So the, the care was broken and these yeah. uh, patients are suffering, not knowing what to do, not taking their medicine or just on so many medications, they don't even know why they're taking it. And so I thought there's gotta be uh, more that I could do beyond my training. And I, I just got tired of uh, just, sitting and knowing that I'm just going to give them the medication and they're just going to be in the simplest if they are. So, so as, so I can just imagine you, you know, you're working away, you're a pharmacist, you are having these patients come in, get their prescription. You're noticing all of this 
this very complex, you know, situation that arises around, you know, first having the symptoms and getting diagnosed and getting treated. Um, and treated does not mean that you are absent of the disease. It just means that the drugs are making you feel like yes. you don't have the disease. And so mm -hmm. as you're going through this, what are your colleagues like? Are your colleagues having the same epiphanies or are they just coming up to showing up to work, putting the prescriptions together and taking the phone calls and going home at night and sleeping well? Because I have a feeling your mind is turning when you go home at night, you know, there, there's this Absolutely. unease. So were you relate, like with the other pharmacists relating to you and your concerns or were you yes, felt alone? Actually, actually they were, um, but I feel like uh, it's more of an awakening happening in the, with the pharmacists, uh, not the pharmaceutical industry to say, but the pharmacists who are practicing because it's the other side of the business. Um, and so th there is that where we're thinking, what's the point? But we cannot, we're not in the place where we're telling the patient, do not take your medicine because they need it. Uh, it's important to get their blood sugar under control. And so I did not like what I saw. I am sure they, and I know they did not, except they, uh, it takes a lot for people to, to do something different. Yeah. And so I know a few who actually have gone and taken different routes to, to, to practice pharmacy. I think one of, the, <clears throat> one of the routes I see most of them take is become uh, medication therapy, manage, like MTM, they manage uh, medications, medication therapy management. Yeah. Uh, but that's just managing the medicine. We're not going to the um, root cause of why is this person here in the first place? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I would have loved to be a pharmacist working next to you because you and I would have been definitely scheming to be like, how can we change the system? So what other, what's, Pharmacists have transitioned into doing a lot of them at least is doing the medication therapy management, which is uh, looking in somebody's profile to make sure they're taking the right medication for all their conditions. But uh, it doesn't necessarily address what, whether or why they're whether they should still be on it or what else they can do to 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 manage their condition differently. So we're still working in the conventional model. And I, I remember when I was uh, thinking about just doing health coaching where I really get to the bottom of it. I, I, I didn't see other pharmacists per se doing that. And I kept feeling, am I doing the right thing? Because it's not um, necessarily what we were trained, but it feels like the, the one thing that make, make a difference in somebody's life. Right. So, yeah. Wow. So then you, so what happened after this? So you have this idea that it's, it's not being managed well, the system, there's something broken in the system. And then what was, what was the next step that you took at this point? Oh, sure. So at this point, I, um, I, I started investigating really, what else can I do? And there's this uh, functional medicine, there is health coaching. And I thought, this sounds like something that will make someone be motivated to take uh, care of themselves. 
because um, as a health coach, you follow through and just look at what's getting in the way <clears throat> for the uh, person so that they're not following through with their own health. So I trained in that. And then with functional medicine is more, what's the root cause? Why are you even here? Uh, where in, in your body or in your life did things change that made you get to where you are? Because uh, that's one thing that we're not necessarily taught in school. We just thought, okay, someone is, has this diagnosis, now manage it, treat it, do what you can to make it look normal. Uh, but we don't go back and say, uh, what got you here? Exactly. And so that was really speaking to my heart. And I thought, this is what I need to do. Because um, traditionally, I'm not the person who speaks up. I think it's because of the way I was brought up, you know, yeah. having grown up and gone to boarding school and staying quiet just so you're not picked up, picked on by other kids or just being told you're here to be seen and not to be heard. And, you know, it felt like, okay, well, I'm not going to say anything. But then when I see uh, patients uh, having this issue and um, I've practiced long enough to know, okay, there is more like inside my heart, my body, it's boiling. Like there's got to be more to this because it's the same all. I see the same people, uh, they have another medication or they now have something else going on and they just settled with the condition and um, it's more like they owned it okay, I have diabetes, now that's it for me. And it felt like it doesn't have to be that way. And so I, I, I had to go deeper and find myself. So I kind of had to do work in myself too, because then I'll be more comfortable to speak up and speak for these people who didn't know what to ask the doctors. They were just told, this is it. And uh, I don't know, they don't know what to ask or they, they just didn't know what else to do. They just... Uh, whether there was any other option of, for them, they, they just settled with the condition and um, maybe just got uh, discouraged. They, they felt like they did something wrong. It's yeah. all of that. And there's more that we could do for them, for, them to, for us to even complain that this crisis is going on. It feels like we're doing something, but are we really doing something? I know. And it's interesting because I just did another podcast earlier. Uh, we recorded one with Dr. Doug Pucci, who's also a functional medicine doctor. He's a chiropractor um, who studied in functional medicine. And he is, I mean, a wealth of knowledge. And he practices very differ different even than the many functional medicine practitioners. And we were just talking about the fact that even when a physician or nurse or, or any health specialty gets trained in functional medicine, they can still end up going back and doing the same thing. They'll meet with the patient, they'll ask them more questions about their life, but at the end of the day, they still end up prescribing, you know, a medication. And not to say that medications are, are bad. Medications are so important, especially if people aren't um, yet have arrived at the place where they know what lifestyle changes to make. So they need the medication. Mm -hmm to make sure that their condition's not getting worse um, if they're not gonna do anything else about it. And so, but really this whole system has to be turned on its head because I too, look at the beautiful sunshine coming through my window here. It's like <laughs> whiting out my face. Um, but the whole system has to be turned on its head because 
Um, so many of my clients come to me and they say, well, I can't reverse my disease because my doctor told me it's not curable. It's not reversible. Mm -hmm. They say things like I'm going to have to be on medication for life, or I have to get the surgery. Um, I'll get worse if I don't get the surgery. And so they already come with that in the mindset. And it's because we've built this system where we put the practitioner on a pedestal as though they know everything. And what people have to know about our medical system is the practitioner only knows what they studied in a small silo. They haven't, you know, unless they've done what you've done, you're a pharmacist who said, okay, well, I'm going to learn about different ways to work with clients and do the health coaching and then do the functional medicine and then learn about nutrition and then learn about all these other things. Um, you know, you have to ask that question of your practitioner, you know, are you somebody who is evolving and learning and growing not just within your profession, but outside your profession too. And this is where once we do that, actually, you know, we can take the practitioner off the pedestal and actually just have them as a partner walking beside us, helping us get to the whatever, you know, understand the root cause, but also to choose the solutions that'll help us be free of our disease. Right. And so this is what it sounds like what you're doing, which I just think I have to applaud you for because it does take courage. And it's as a woman, first of all, as an African-American woman, um, you know, as you know, English is your second language. So we have all of these small barriers. They're not barriers that can't be overcome. But I get it that sometimes speaking up against such a big, massive profession, it takes a lot of courage. And I just have to applaud you for doing that because you could have just stayed working and, you know, paid your mortgage and gone on vacations with your kids, but instead you took a much harder route. And so thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. It's, uh, I feel like it's, uh, it's, it's very new for me, but definitely somewhere I need to be because I feel better there. I feel like, uh, besides having practiced as a pharmacist, um, what else is there? Uh, there's got to be more that makes me sleep well at night. And I feel like if I find my voice and speak up and say there's something more that can be done, like don't settle, then I would I would be happier. I would be in a better place than where I am. Uh, I tend to tell people that a medication is it's it needs to be a bridge. Definitely don't stop it, but it's Make sure you know that it's a bridge to uh, to to healthy, exactly. because what happens when um, you let's say implement lifestyle changes in your life? Guess what? The medication starts getting off, <laughs> and that gives you the hint that you don't always have to be on it. There's uh, more that can be done for sure. Exactly. Because our bodies are designed to heal themselves. It's what they do every single day. Our bodies are regenerating. So our body's natural inclination is for balance, for homeostasis, for health, for, you know, to be disease free, to be healthy, to be vibrant, to make energy, all of these things. And so people first thing that they have to do is believe that they can heal from their disease. And then from that mm -hmm. place, it's to find out what you need to do, because there's lots of different things you can do, right? There's many things yeah. we have to address. But at the same time, you have to start with the belief and, and the knowing that your body can heal from these diseases. I just saw her little head pop up. She's so cute. <laughs> oh, actually, 
one of my sons arrived home. So. Oh, that was one of your sons. Is he sneaking behind the table? <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll see. The other one has to be picked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one who missed the bus. Yes. Um, so then tell me this. So you specialize in type 2 diabetes and burnout. So talk to me about, are these two separate things for you or are these the same? Well, I'm not sure that they're different. I mean, because of the way I see uh, people come in and their, their state of mind when they have the diagnosis, when someone's diagnosed, oh my goodness, this is the end of the world, okay? I did something wrong. Um, this is gonna be progressive. Uh, they, let's say they saw their, somebody in the family or somebody they know who struggled with um, kidney disease and maybe had to go into dialysis or somebody who had an amputation or who had uh, who went blind you know mm -hmm. so they go with that this is my destiny and so as you can imagine how are you going to continue taking care of a condition uh, when your destiny is dire so you get to a point where you don't even want to take care of it and so I do it um, I want to say to, together, it's, the, it's more like one thing to address because, because it's always going to show up. Puppy, puppy. Because it's going to, it's always going to show up. Yeah. Um, uh, people will always try to do something right. Uh, at least they feel like they've done something right with their health. They, they, they got into a diet that they're able to sustain. But then they get discouraged because their results are not there. They're still, their blood sugar is so high or, um, or they started a new medication and they, are, they gained weight or they started an insulin pump and their blood sugar is so low. Now they're struggling with hypoglycemia. So it's always an element that's always going to show up. And uh, with burnout, it's an, a, an attitude where you say, I quit because they've tried everything. And just imagine with the diagnosis and the, 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 them not having that uh, positive outlook, they're going to give up at any time. Yeah. And so you don't want them to do that because it gets worse. With your clients then that are coming through and they are suffering from this burnout from diabetes, you know, how do you start to help them? Like, are you, you know, what are the steps that you're taking to be able to support them in understanding that there are other options for them? Well, I, I know that all they know is that all they know is their medication. So we start with their numbers, really. What, uh, do you know what your A1C is? Because that's uh, one number that most of them would most likely be familiar with. I go with the acronym, the ABC, the A1C, the, the blood pressure and the cholesterol. These are numbers they would have because they probably had the check at the doctor's office, so they don't have to worry that or, or ask, what, what do I mean? So let's start from there because that tells you the level of um, control you have for your diabetes. And then from there, we see what are they doing because are they able to, um, what are they doing? Are they able to, uh, or have they have put in place a, a plan for themselves? So what is the plan they have for them? Uh, did they ever eat anything different or did they, are they taking their medications? We start from there because 
it's putting in the smallest thing that they could do because at this point they don't see a reason why they should continue. So it's more of, okay, yeah, you have asked for help. That's actually a step forward. So what else could you do that's small and could keep you going? So um, are you taking a medication or what's one meal you could change? Because some of them will say their blood sugar is so high in the morning, they're not even eating breakfast. And so uh, we kind of uh, go through the explanation of reason why they should consider eating breakfast or not, or how are they feeling first of all? Uh, what are they eating in the evening? Because they'll come and say, oh no, I just eat whatever I need to eat because their doctor said uh, that yes, they do have diabetes, but they do not have to let it take their life. Like they can live their life normal. Oh, yeah. And so they will still uh, eat the things they used to eat. Oh, I can't stop eating whatever their favorite thing was that's affecting their blood sugar a lot more. And so we try to see if it's something that has a substitute. Is it a, you know, how much of it do you need to eat? Do you even know how much of that you need to eat? So small things that are getting in the way and then a, a, a plan for any small thing that they can change. Uh, is it eating breakfast that you wanna change? What's the one thing you wanna incorporate in your breakfast that you could handle? So. Uh, I help them instill small things at a time until they're able to do more. Because if you, if I told them, okay, now you need to stop eating whatever your favorite thing was today and go to the gym, it's not going to go anywhere. It's more of what are they able to do at first. And then we'll talk more about, uh, I do a lot of education in terms of, okay, if you didn't take care of your condition, this is, uh, you might feel like you're tired, you wanna quit, but this is what's going on. Your body is always going to, to help you out. It's gonna take care of what it needs to take care of so you don't feel terrible, but slowly until, uh, it happens slowly until later on you start feeling like, you start feeling uh, the occurrence of these uh, complications. So if your blood sugar stays this high, this elevated, it means that eventually maybe this is how it actually affects your eyes. So it's not a matter of, diabetes will just affect your eyes, but it's, if you don't do this, this is why you're gonna end up here. And if, with that understanding, they're more willing to try something. Exactly. So, yeah. And I see that all the time because my clients come to me when essentially they've hit rock bottom, when their doctors have said, oh, you know what, like within the next six months, we might have to consider amputation because the neuropathy is, mm -hmm. you know, so terrible or their eyesight really is starting to go or um, all the other complications that come with having, you know, diabetes, heart disease, usually often people have both. And Unfortunately, you know, it's, it's sad that people have to wait till the symptoms get really bad and then they get very scared and then they're willing to start to make the changes versus I think if they had the support of their pharmacist, the support of their doctor and their nurse saying, hey, you know what? there is a relationship between your diet and your disease. There is a relationship between your sleep habits and your disease. There is a relationship between your movement or lack of movement in your disease. So if you were to start doing this now, we can avoid these things. But often 
I'll have my clients come to me and, you know, they've been on insulin for 15, 20 years. Their disease is progressing, of course. Um, you know, the medications now they're having to switch them because, you know, they, they're like, they're always just almost being used like they're a lab rat. Like we're just going to mm -hmm. experiment on this mm -hmm. one now with you. And now there's a new drug out. Let's try and use that. And, you know, and it's, and if their doctor had just told them 20 years ago, there's a relationship between their disease and their diet. I mean, these people really would have made the changes. They just needed to hear it from a professional yes. to have them tell that, tell them that. And the problem is, they know that there is a relationship, but their doctors aren't really saying what that is either. So some doctors are saying there's no relationship. You know, this is mm -hmm. an incurable disease. It's too bad. Your dad had it. Your grandfather had it. Your grandmother yeah. had it. You know, so then they're like reinforcing that there's nothing that they can do. Whereas we know that there is, and they just want to yeah. hear it from somebody. And, you know, and I get clients too that I had one, there was one woman and she said, well, I have to eat meat because, you know, I can't eat any carbohydrates and I can't eat any potatoes and I can't eat any carrots or apples or basically listed every carbohydrate healthy food on the planet and said she couldn't eat that because sugar is the cause of the disease. So therefore mm -hmm. eating meat was the only thing she could do. Whereas we know a lot of the science does point to the fact that when our vascular system is rigid and we our endothelial cells are, you know, rigid and the lining is rigid then this also contributes to the development of the disease. A lot of these animal-based fats, saturated fats, you know, mm -hmm. trico, you know, everything. So it is so, it seems complex, but it, to me, having done this work for so long, it's actually quite simple how we can support people in not having them hit rock bottom. That's how I felt when I got into health coaching, because as we are trained in school, you know, you, you're trained about uh, all the, um, the causes of diabetes and its uh, consequences, the heart disease and um, all the complications that could come out of it. And then when I got into coaching and so that really all you have to tell, to, to have somebody do is look at their day, write, up, write down, take a inventory of what they ate. And look at what they ate because most of the time they don't even know that they ate that much of uh, either carbs or whatever it is that's not uh, helping their condition. And at first I thought, that's it? Like, that's not possible. Because <laughs> that, that's, how, how are they going to believe me? Because uh, we, have, we have been in this place where we give them medications. Of, of course, yes, there's new medication every year. There is no shortage of medications. Yeah. They are very uh, elaborate where the, some of the clients will say, oh, I started that new injectable and it's helped me lose weight or it helped me lower my A1C, but it really helped them lose weight because of the side effects, which they were not feeling great. They were nauseous 80% uh, of the time. And it's, okay, is that really helpful? <laughs> because how long are you going to want to feel nauseous before you just stop and do something different? Uh, so that's uh, definitely something I see a lot. And um, just looking at it, it's easier to make those lifestyle changes, but it's almost too simple. <laughs> that that's, there's got to be more. 
Yeah. And that's exactly when I did my training, because I'm specifically trained in the Gerson therapy, which is what our Eat Real to Heal program is based on. And, you know, the Gerson therapy is a hundred year old therapy. It's metabolic nutrition. It was designed by a medical doctor. Um, We get such turnaround with diabetes. Like we see people's Mm A1C levels drop, you know, and immediately like they're lowering their medications Mm -hmm. usually by day two, three, and some of my clients are even off if they really stick to the program, but, you know, within seven days to a month and they've been on insulin and metformin and all the other drugs for, you know, 10, 20 years. And we see how fast the body responds when they do that. And, you know, they still get to eat an abundance of amazing, beautiful foods. But the sad thing is many of them were told to stay away from these foods because they've confused carbohydrates for carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's unrefined carbohydrates in the whole food form, and then there's refined carbohydrates, and there's a mass difference between that. And so, you know, getting, you know, clients to understand the difference and then getting them to fall in love with these foods and then getting them to enjoy them and eat them. And all of a sudden, like their, their numbers are changing so fast. And what's so great is that it does happen fast because some other programs I find when it takes too long to get to the results, then they give up. Cause they're like, well, yeah. I've made this lifestyle change, but really it's going to take a year to a year and a half to get results versus <laughs> no, your body is capable of reversing this diabetes really fast. Absolutely. Yes. It does happen quickly. Uh, you know, it just, I didn't, that's the first thing they'll ask. How long is this going to be? When I coach people, I have them in an eight week program and uh, they will ask, what are you going to do? Uh, obviously we are doing, we're looking at taking inventory of what you're eating and looking to change that, of course, uh, putting in um, activity, physical activity. So the thing with uh, someone who got diabetes is that they already have a blood glucose meter. That helps because yes. not everybody has that. So they could actually see how everything they do changes they are, they are through the day. So if it's an uh, it's a, if it's a workout that they are t- they have taken on, they'll know if it's helping with their blood sugar or not. If it's something they're eating, they'll know whether it's helping with their blood sugar or not. If it's sleeping, just whatever it is, it's going to. And so that's one advantage that, that they don't know that they have. Uh, and I, I always bring that up. You 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 don't even have to go too far to to figure out what you have to do. You just need to go and check your blood sugar. And with the fact that there is a lot of technology, if they are scared of checking their blood sugar, obviously I had a client who who could actually give himself uh, insulin injections, but could not uh, fathom with the thought of sticking their finger to check their blood sugar. (laughs) It didn't make sense. But they, so they had to wait yeah. for a family member to, to check their blood sugar twice a day. And so with that, of course, the technology, there are options of getting that continuous glucose monitoring meter. You know, so the technology is great. It's there. They just have to have the knowledge, a, a little bit of education that this is possible for you and uh, you can do things differently. And this is how you can do things differently. 
Yeah, I love that you brought up the ease of the technology because I actually bought a blood glucose meter just because I was really curious, you know, from my family um, and just, you know, I love data and I love understanding and I want to see the difference in our family members after we eat a meal and we are fully plant-based whole food. We don't have any refined oils or sugar or salt in our food. You know, we eat 100% organic. It's all very clean and wholesome. We get a diversity of like 30 to 50 different vegetables in our diet every week, um, wow. you know, and that's just, but that's because I have spent my, like the last 20 plus years with my head in the research, which really shows that this diet, which is what my grandmother in Malawi, basically she lived on the same diet. You know, most people in non North American, European countries, um, you know, they, that's the diet that they've subsisted on for millions of years and they were diabetes free. It's really only when, mm -hmm. you know, my family members moved from my grandmother's village into the city that they would start to eat a lot of these refined products and then they, and more meat, of course, because as you get wealthier, you eat more meat, um, you know, and then dairy and then all these other things. And then they would, of course, start to develop these, these lifestyle diseases like diabetes and autoimmune disorders and heart disease. So we have a blood glucose monitor and even my daughter, she's nine years old, but even when she was six, like she would, we'd, she would like, anytime we'd have a guest over, she'd be like, can I prick your finger? And she would pull it out <laughs> and, and she would test and she would get the reading and she'd keep note of it. And she'd keep data on all our guests that would come over and what their, you know, what their levels were after we ate a meal. It was actually quite interesting, but it's also, I think, fun to teach kids about collecting data because mm -hmm then make people less afraid because it's that data that it's a yeah. real picture, right? It's that mirror to where you're at right now. So something totally. that I really yeah, yeah encourage people to do. So then tell us more about this eight week program. Like what does that look like for people who want to go through this with you? Okay. So the eight week program I have, uh, because we know that lifestyle changes, uh, can can give you a, a turnaround in your results pretty quickly. Uh, the first uh, couple of weeks, we actually just go through your nutrition where I'm not necessarily a nutritionist, so I don't tell you um, eat this and that is, as far as a nutritionist, but take inventory of what you're eating uh, the first few days or weeks. Uh, whatever it takes, but then also we put together a plan of things that they, they know that they should be eating, you know, because there is this, I know I should not be eating that, but I eat it because I don't know what else to eat. So what else do you think you should be eating? How easily can you get it? Because they, there's also this notion that eating healthy, it can be expensive, but then uh, of course, being in North America, I'll say, uh, try the freezer section <laughs> because there's also the frozen uh, veggies that you could just get out of the freezer and cook. They're not as expensive as you would think if you feel like the fresh ones are. But then, so write down things you think you would you would actually eat because we need this to stick. It's not me telling you, here, go eat that. It's, yeah. Do you think that's going to serve you? So we go through this thinking process and um, we come up with a week plan of what they're going to try to eat differently after comparing what they have been eating and actually writing down how it made them feel. And then uh, 
After that, we will go through with um, the physical activity. Okay, what works for you? Because if you've never worked out, just picking up and walking to the mailbox is good enough. Yeah. And then from there, you will find that you have more energy to do more. So what's going to work? I know they say uh, for diabetic, doing uh, the heat uh, exercise, the high intensive. Uh, oh, high intensity workout, interval training. Yeah. Interval training is good for them or um, just uh, weightlifting. And it's something they can try because then they don't have to feel like they need to leave their house. They can just do whatever they can at that time. And then depending on what they did, then we see what can we tweak here? What can we intensify uh, from there and have them sustain it? What worked? What do you feel like you could keep doing? And then we'll, we'll do that. And then what's their support system? So because uh, what, that helps consider or decide what's their stress level yeah. because uh, are you commuting to work is that where you you're having stress maybe you're stuck in traffic maybe at work there is all this passive aggressiveness going on so what's going on around anywhere in your life that's causing um, you to causing you stress really I, I worked with a stay-at-home mom who was pre-diabetic and just uh, the stress of being at home. I, I worked with her, she actually just lost weight. And all she did was walk downstairs and upstairs instead of taking the elevator in her apartment. But uh, it's kind of something that got her out of the house and relieved some of her stress. And so we just have to figure out where this, where's the sign of stress coming from because that's what causes your cortisol levels to go up and keep you, your blood sugar up there. We look at your sleep, which has got a huge impact because we're in a world where we're constantly awake because you don't want to miss something that happened. Uh, there's social media going on. And so you don't make time to sleep. Uh, I am guilty of that. So it's something that's hard to do but yeah. when it's something that has been shown, so I actually hold like weekly uh, live trainings where I go to the backside of the reasons why you should sleep and the reasons why if, if you don't do it, how it's going to affect your condition. And so we, we put in a plan if it's something that's been getting in the way. If there, if there is something that's been getting in the way, we put in a plan and see if it's something that's going to work for them, what's going to work, what, can they do and sustainably do that continuously? And then the last one I did, I do is uh, addressing toxins in their environment. You know, I, I say this, okay, you think you packed your lunch in, uh, your healthy lunch in your container, but did you carry diabetes with you? Because they've, they've shown that the BPA in plastics is what can also contribute towards um, diabetes. So we go around the talk and address toxins. Uh, and then in this COVID era with the, you know, we're spraying everything. What is that? How is that affecting you? How can you do it sustainably? You know, people use candles to, to create this beautiful scent in their house, but how are they affecting the air you're breathing in and your conditions. So those are the subtle things. 
that might be affecting your condition and you didn't know that. So you just live life as it is. So we, we address those in the eight weeks uh, and we just add on one thing at a time just to avoid overwhelm and uh, take inventory of how is this working and what can we change. And a lot of times you will see a quick difference just in the first couple of weeks. Like you said, uh, your clients see a difference in the first couple of weeks. And it's just, just uh, being mindful and take, taking your, your foot off the gas and taking a back seat and go, okay, now what can I do? Sometimes that's all you need to do to start and start seeing a difference for yourself. I love that. And yeah, you touch on so many of the things that we touch in our program as well, which is really similar. I like your approach because ours is a five-week program, but ours is very, very much five weeks related to the actual therapy that you're going to be doing. So there's the food, there's the detoxification, there's additional nutrients that you can't get through food. So there is a supplementation and then there's, um, we add juicing to it. And for a lot of diabetics, they're like, oh, I can't do juicing. And, you know, and I'm like, well, you actually can. It's vegetable juice. And because mm-hmm. you're getting lots of fiber in the day through the meals that you're eating and the snacks, like you don't have to worry about uh, not having the fiber to slow down the juicing, but the juicing is really there as like an IV transfusion of nutrients into your bloodstream that just further helps speed up the healing. And, and it defies everything that we know about sugar causing diabetes, because even with our clients um, doing this program, yes, they're consuming a lot of a carbohydrate sugars, but their diabetes is reversing their A1C mm-hmm. levels are dropping, mm-hmm. their everything's their glucose readings are coming back normal very, very quickly. Um, and I like your approach too, because a lot of my clients, um, will, they are not ready to just jump into the nutrition side. They have to slowly just get comfortable understanding how their world is connected. And I love how your approach does touch on all those important things, the sleep, you know, the food, um, and just addressing, like taking, getting people to take responsibility and acknowledge their life and themselves as a creator in their disease as well. And I never like yeah. to say that yeah, you yeah. created your disease. Her voice is so sweet. I miss that sound in our house. But, you know, I never like to say you created your disease, but yes, your lifestyle and the choices that we do make does create our health and ultimately therefore creates our disease. So I love that you have people taking responsibility for themselves. And then from there, I can see them jumping and wanting to know more like, hey, what kind of foods can I eat? And then they start to do more research. But the part two that I really appreciate about what you're doing is that relationship to the toxins in your environment, like whether it's the beauty products on your body, your cleaning products, Mm -hmm. all the hand sanitizers that we're using, the candles that we're using, you know, all these beauty products that are on the market and home decor products. So many of them are toxic. So many Mm of them are directly known, like we never like to say cause, this causes that, but we do see a correlation between a lot of these toxins and our diseases as well. So people do have to address all areas of their life and it's Mm -hmm. so important that you're doing that so I appreciate that you're doing that as well and so when your clients finish the eight-week program you know what are you finding that you know what is the outcome for them um you know are you finding that 
they're, you know, moving further with this? Do they feel like eight weeks is enough? Do they get that they're supposed to continue this for life? I'm really curious about the mindset changes that happen with your clients. Okay, so when they, first of all, when they started with me, or in general, just uh, uh, when you hear the complaints of uh, people who are struggling with diabetes, is that energy crash. They feel tired several times through the day and uh, they eat, but then they crash. And then once they are up there, they just feel awful. And so there is less of that, just feeling a fresh surge of energy mm-hmm. because they feel like, wow, I, I, um, I used to think I cannot eat oatmeal, for instance, but then when I prepare it, uh, differently and have all these uh, proteins in it or whatever oils in it that are more healthy. It's just it's more sustainable. I don't feel like I, I I don't feel like I can't eat it. So they they have more energy, yes. And then uh, soon enough, if their blood sugar is much lower, so uh, when they implement especially exercise, uh, their blood sugars can go down like thirty points. And they feel like, oh goodness, yes, I'm going to talk to my doctor because they do get off medications. Uh, so we monitor, we monitor their their blood, their blood sugar. They constantly have to do that, um, and then so they definitely end up needing to get off medications. And then uh, just uh, the fact that they, if they were worried about the progression to um, complications they learn that maybe it's something that can be delayed because I, in, on top of that, or maybe when they finish the program, I talk further about the root cause of diabetes and just how they need to dig deeper. So they're more interested. Uh, I, I, I talk about the, the, the functional medicine part of it, where we, we can address any micronutrient insufficiencies I don't always bring up uh, supplements mm-hmm. right at the beginning uh, because they already were overwhelmed with medications. Yeah. But eventually I'll say, if, you, if it's something you want to consider, definitely add on. So and what are, the, yeah, what are some of those supplements that you would recommend for, you know, and everybody's gonna be different probably, but there are some yeah. staple supplements and nutrients that we know that people need. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so yeah, so actually at the end of towards the end of the program, that's when I will speak about it. And so definitely make sure that they're taking, uh, as I have learned, we didn't learn a lot about this in (laughs) pharmacy school, but as I have learned, definitely we need the magnesium because it's part of uh, it's it's part of every other function that's going on in our body. Uh, so uh, having sufficient magnesium levels and vitamin D levels for sure. And then uh, from there, I know that they, and then chromium for, for people who have diabetes. But then from there, I know that they always want to take other supplements. Uh, no, not supplements, but things that are natural like ginger or cinnamon. That depends because it might also affect their blood sugar negatively. It might be go, it might go too low. So we discuss and see if it's something that's necessary. There is a supplement called Barberin that they like to ask about. Yes. And so for those, we will add them if it's 
depending on where they are and if it's really necessary and after analyzing how is it going to affect their blood sugar is this something they really need because sometimes you just really don't need so mostly I'll, I'll advocate for magnesium and vitamin d at first and then uh, making sure they have the b vitamins because yeah. they help with energy utilization in their body and then from there others are do you need it or you don't you have to analyze that yeah and so and that's how they will continue with me maybe they want to take the multivitamins and then we address i mean the supplements and then we address other things because i noticed that people who are when they have diabetes they're also going to be on a medication for their reflux somehow they have reflux so what's going on in their gut is it something they need to be on how can they work to 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 try to get off because the doctor does really tell them that uh, they needed to be on it for the first two weeks, but they are on it two years later. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing is, yes, you do need it sometimes to prevent um, uh, cancer for some people, but then have you had an analysis lately to know if it's something you need to be on? Because most of the time, you, you actually don't need it. There are other things you could do to, to get off. And so we address a protocol where we work you towards Ew. getting off of puppy, puppy. medications you don't need. So like the gut medication. Oh, oh my she gosh. To make, she can make an appearance. Do you want to make it a hi, sweet love? Hi, Sarah. Maybe what's, Sarah. what's your name? Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Sarah. Yes. Nice to meet you, Sarah. I don't know if you can oh, hear me because your mama she has can, your headphones. because I have the earpiece, yes. Yes, yes. Hi, Sarah. Um, so I love, like, I hope everybody that's listening to this podcast heard oh. what Esther had to yeah. say, that her oh, clients come in, okay. they have diabetes, and they're able to get off the diet, off their medications. Like this is huge. And people need to understand that when they are diagnosed with type two diabetes, that it is not a life sentence. It does not mean that you have to suffer from the symptoms and the side effects of these, of this disease. Um, if you are willing to make the lifestyle changes and those lifestyle changes can be you know, as simple as the things that Esther describes in her eight week program. And of course, you know, it could also go to the extreme that I take it to with the way I help my clients. But of course, my clients, their disease has progressed and it's quite advanced. And so we have to mm -hmm. come in with a very aggressive protocol, which at the end of the day, it seems aggressive to them. And that word is has a lot of connotation. But at the same time, you know, being in my grandmother's village again in Malawi, I mean, really, it was just the same foods that they've been eating their entire life right? It's, it's not aggressive at all. Yes. It's actually so simple that it seems aggressive because it's in such yes. contrast to the way that most people eat. Like when they go grocery shopping, most people are filling up their cart with processed packaged, you know, ultra processed boxed, you know, goods, but then there's very little room in the cart for the fresh vegetables. Which, yeah, yeah, that needs to change. So what do you do with your clients? Because I know we get clients like this all the time that they don't even know what a potato is. They've only ever seen McCain's fries, for example. So what do you do with these clients? How do you support them? Oh, my. Um, I don't know that I've met one. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But 
I know that um, there is such a thing as uh, doing uh, virtual grocery shopping. It's part of my plan, actually, so that I show them I'll go to the grocery store and you know walk in the in the in the uh, produce section and say you could implement you could eat this um, in the morning. So uh, I'm ready for what I like oh, to do. Yeah. I say, have you ever thought about eating broccoli broccoli for breakfast? And it's one of those things you you don't really always think about. But so how could you how could you add your your veggies so that you're eating enough veggies through the day and maybe crowd out all the uh, foods that are considered bad foods and so I'd say okay have broccoli and you can just you know fry it with some onions and put some garlic and give it a flavor and have some uh, squash I have this squash I like to recommend because it's easier yeah. to eat Buttercup squash, not butternut, but buttercup. So it's very sweet and it, it's um, dry. It's not soggy when you boil it. So all you do is boil it. <laughs> so I cut it, boil it. And then your breakfast plate will just have, maybe if you, maybe it's an egg or whatever protein you have, some lentil, um, buttercup squash and, and, and some broccoli. And you get full off of that, and it's such a different uh, breakfast than they are used to versus, you know, versus eating dessert for breakfast. And it fills you for a longer period of time. So I would uh, do the virtual um, grocery shopping and show them options of things they can eat that's different from what they have been eating, so that when they go to their own grocery store, they're not lost. They have an idea. And they at least have that open mind that I can have my veggies starting in the morning and I don't have to feel like I don't know what to eat. Exactly. I love that too. And I even had to look up a picture of buttercup squash because I forgot. I eat the squash, but I just never knew the name of it. Um, and, uh, and this is so helpful because of the fact that... Um, so a lot of people, they don't have time, they say, to cook, right? So they're mm -hmm. used to going and grabbing food and eating on the go. And I can be guilty of that as well. I choose way better options when I'm on the go. But, um, you know, I don't choose fast food and, and all of that. But it's still not the same as cooking at home. But for example, you know, just to know that you don't have to peel all your squash as well. Some squash you can, most squash, you just cut it in half scoop yeah. out the seeds, throw it in the oven or boil it and you're good to go or steam it or however you want to cook it. It doesn't require lots of hours in the kitchen of, you know, laboring over taking the skin off as so many people were taught to do um, for a yeah. long time. I think a lot of our mothers in America started peeling all the carrots and peeling everything. They were like, don't eat the skin. Whereas we now know that actually the skin also has a lot of nutrients and a lot of squashes, you can do that. So it's important, yeah. yeah, the work that you're doing to be able to show people how easy it can be as well in the kitchen. And yeah, simple, and once you simple do it, recipes. you just, and if you do it, you just do it. Um, you could eat it more than two days, more than one day. So yeah. you can eat today and tomorrow. So it makes it easier. It makes them, it gives them an idea uh, of what else they could do. Yeah, that is amazing. What is the age group of the people that you tend to help? Is there all ages or specific groups? Is it more women, more men? I'm curious. Okay, it's more women. Uh, I mean, I've had a male client because they also would need help. But uh, my avatar would be more women. 
and um, in their so they they are mostly overwhelmed with what else is going on in their life. Maybe yeah. they have teenage kids, and this they are having you know different character going on, and they want to find a way to put themselves first. So definitely, maybe they're in their forties and fifties, mm-hmm. um, and they have been told that the this is it for them. So all they're doing is taking medication and just trying to make it through life. But, you know, going out there uh, on my social media regularly to tell to tell them whoever's listening that there is something else that can be done here uh, and we can go deeper. Come on and learn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, and in the United States, in, in Canada as well, all over the world, that uh, we do know that BIPOC uh, individuals, BIPOC citizens, they have higher rates of diabetes and heart disease um, compared to non-BIPOC individuals. And this is something that we really work to address because of the fact that um, it's not a genetic reason behind it, mm-hmm. as we were mm-hmm. often told. I mean, we were told in there was a bad research that came out a long time ago, you know, a few decades ago, saying that Indigenous members had a thrifty gene. So this one specific gene that made them more likely to be obese and diabetic. And we now know that that's not true. Um, and we also know that there's been ongoing trauma and as a result of, you know, colonization and, you know, you, like my mom, she was, you know, pulled out of her village by choice, you know, my grandmother and and my mother made the decision that she would go to a boarding school, but it's very similar to what happened to a lot of the Indigenous First Nations um, members, you know, she was separated from her mother at a very young age and sent to a boarding school to get an education. And so, of course, there is, even though it was their choice for my mother, and it was not the choice for a lot of people in North America, um, there's still a lot of trauma associated with that that get passed down through the generations. And of course, when you're separated from the land, growing your food, you know, all of these, you know, different lifestyles that we had a few hundred years ago, you know, and it's, and we haven't been able to get back to that in our family fast-paced modern society so mm-hmm. you know the that's the work that I'm doing is just helping people remember that you know that there's culturally culturally appropriate ways to eat and that this knowledge of food as medicine has always been there and we can get back to it because we have the joys of being able to go to a grocery store you don't even have to grow your food anymore um, mm-hmm. and do you find that you're working more with african-american individuals or are you working with a whole diversity of cultures and how do you handle that um, even though you're not giving food recommendations but how do you navigate that that nutrition piece with with different members from different cultures i find myself working more with the african-american oh, you do? Okay. community mostly because uh they, they they are the ones i probably go more in that community and uh i've seen that uh, the statistics definitely show that they, they are they're struggling more with that and they are more prone to be open to me and say, I don't know what I'm doing. And of course they'll tell you, okay, I just do what I've always done, which I have my lovely potato chips that I can't stop eating. (laughs) So they'll be more open to telling me that. And um, with uh, the knowledge uh, that I give them and seeing the person it's coming from, they they it kind of opens them up to okay there is more to this maybe there is something I could do and 
So the other piece of it is um, having migrated here, uh, there are other people from other countries. So a lot of people from Kenya I have met, having been here for a very long time, they also fall culprit to the culture. Of course, we all like the convenience. And then once they've had the diagnosis as well, they, they, they don't know what to do, of course, because we have the food that we eat, like a staple food. Uh, and, and, and at some point when you have the diagnosis, you're not going to eat that continuously. It's probably not the best option for you. Maybe the carbs are really high. And then what they've asked me is to write them a meal plan for someone who is not, I mean, obviously being from Kenya or from other countries, they're not necessarily always eating the American food in terms of, I mean, they buy it in America, but they, they kind of try to eat what's close enough to their culture. Mm -hmm. And so they asked me to write a plan that of something they're familiar with because especially when they're in their 50s, they, they don't know what else they could substitute what we were yeah. used to eating. And that's what got me into, oh, we used to do a lot of squash back home. Yeah. A lot of sweet potatoes. And so uh, this is an option. Don't forget that it's available here because the difference is that the food had a different texture. I remember when I came here, I did not eat squash for a long time because it was the butternut squash. I was like, I need that texture. I can't eat it if it's a different texture. And so for a long time, I did not eat it right. until I saw that there's different kinds. And same thing with potatoes. There's potatoes that are baked in the US and we don't bake our potatoes. So what happens is you end up not eating it because it's got this texture that you're not familiar with, you don't like. And so you had to go and find where that is. And I actually found potatoes that are, have a similar texture to what oh. we're used to eating. What and kind of so, potatoes are those? Well, so they're the red on the outside and they're, oh, yes. they're white inside. And when you boil them, which a lot of my food I boil. Yeah. <laughs> and I make it simple. I don't do much more to it because it already has its own flavor. Exactly. So just boil the potato and uh, take out the skin and eat it for breakfast with um, whatever protein I have on my plate. You know, it could be lentils, could be an egg. Uh, and then it's just so filling. And I've noticed that when you do that, uh, if you had to eat something that's processed, let's say you're eating your good old pancakes or waffles, yeah. they don't taste good anymore. No. <laughs> you know, the, you lose that. If you had to serve yourself, and I challenge my clients to this. Okay, go ahead and put the potato, the squash, and the egg, and then the pancake. But then eat the potato and the egg first, yeah. and then eat the pancake. And they're like, yeah, that didn't taste right. Yeah, it and tastes then, like nothing. And the only way so it tastes good is if you put the syrup on it, and if you put the salt in the pancakes. Like, it's the only way to taste, yeah, make flour yes, taste good. And, <laughs> and that helps them crowd out the, the, the yeah. food that is not necessarily... Uh, helpful for them but that's another way I'm serving my clients by coming up with I guess other things that op food options that they can eat uh, that are going to help them succeed in their diabetes care and uh, without feeling like they are they don't have anything to eat or they don't know what to eat yeah I love that I love that 
You have been such a wealth of information for, you know, anybody out there who is just been recently diagnosed with diabetes or you've been battling with it for a long time. And especially if you're feeling burnt out and like there's nothing that you can do, um, you know, Esther Onyoni is another example of somebody out there who is fighting the good fight to be able to uh, bring this information to you. So where can people find you? How do they work with you, especially now that it's COVID and, you know, everybody's working remotely? Mm -hmm. I'm mostly on social media. I am on Facebook. I have a, a group that I, um, I teach on a weekly basis, uh, depending on the topic they bring up. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn and then also just uh, on my email onyoni at gmail.com and then uh, I host webinars on a monthly basis I'm yet to get to the February one but mostly it will address the burnout it will address how you can get to the bottom of your condition and just gives um, I want to come from the place of there is hope here and uh, this is what uh, you probably don't know but you should know and uh, so I invite people to join me on those. I, I just advertise them on my social media and um, just uh, provide my services that way. That's amazing. So no website, right? I didn't see a website. Um, okay, my website is uh, thewellnesspathfinders.com. Okay, perfect. I like, I like that name because it feels like that's where we're going. Yes. We need to be well, and there is an opportunity for us to do that. Yes, and it's okay, good. So, wellnesspathfinder.com. So, we'll the make sure. Wellnesspathfinders.com. Okay, perfect. So, we'll make sure we get that website. We'll put all of the links so that people can get in touch with you um, and so that they can reach you. And we'll put those in the show notes for sure. So, before we leave, I'm just going to share one wish that I have for you and for our mm -hmm. world. And then I'd also love for you to share just a couple tips for somebody who's just hearing this for the first time. And what are some, a couple steps that they can take to get started. So my wish for the world is that you are a pharmacist. You have this wealth of scientific knowledge behind you. You have this incredible ability to relate to people and to meet them where they're at. I just think it would be phenomenal for you to teach other pharmacists and have a program to teach other pharmacists how to do this as well. Because not everybody's willing to take that leap from their field into functional medicine, but there's stuff in the middle. There's a place that they can play in the middle where I can really see you having such a, a fundamental profound role. Because if we had all these pharmacists across North America also educating you know, the clients that come through, can you just imagine what the world would look like in a decade? We would probably see the elimination of so many of these chronic diseases. So that's my wish for the world, wish for you. Now tell us and leave our audience with a few steps that they should take um, if this if they're just learning this information for the first time. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. That is uh, that's beautifully said. <clears throat> in terms of <laughs> what I would like to live everybody with, is um, if, if it's a new diagnosis for, uh, that you've gotten for diabetes, just have grace for yourself. Uh, don't stay in the overwhelm. Be kinder to yourself because 
there is nothing you've done wrong, but there is a lot you can do from here on. So uh, stay with that. And then taking simple steps when you feel like you, there's nothing else you can do. So one I like to tell people is just have a sip of water, <laughs> drink some water. And um, because that encourages your kidneys to release the, the glucose or the toxins instead of leaving it up for your liver, which is already doing a lot of work. So just hydrate. It's as simple as it sounds, but it's and uh, but trust that it gives a, a huge difference for your body. And then just love the verb decide. Decide is the beginning of it all because you would have decided that I'm going to get to the bottom of this, that I'm not going to let this condition on me. I'm going to be in charge of my own health. Uh, decide that you'll stand up for yourself and be your own advocate because no one else is going to do it for you. Your doctor will give you medication always, but uh, you have to decide that is this the best thing for me to, to continue the, the right path, for me to continue, what else can I do? And then you know, whatever you choose to do in terms of physical activity or nutrition, just make sure it's something that's sustainable for you because only you know what is sustainable for you. Yeah. Do not go with, oh, they say that's the best diet and that's the best exercise. It's what can I do sustainably because if you're consistent, you will see a difference. Wow, that was beautifully said. That is a gorgeous way to end this show. Um, thank you so much for being on our show. And I really look forward to following the work that you're doing and driving a lot of our you know, audience towards you so that you can further support them in making these lifestyle changes that'll get them results, get them off their medications and getting them back to living their most profound, amazing life that they were born to be. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for today. And I look forward to seeing your, the 22 million uh, project <laughs> progress and just <laughs> explode and be successful. So I'm definitely following that one because I thought I had started, but you are on another level and I love that. And it gives me hope on myself because I know that I could go far with this because there's a lot of people out there who need to learn that they have options, they could do things differently. Exactly. Yeah. We're, I'm not going to get to 22 million people helping 22 people by 2030 on my own. It exactly. takes a village to make this happen. So working together and knowing that you're out there in the world and doing the good work that you're doing, it's definitely provides me with lots of hope to keep going. So this is, yeah, this is great. It's mutual, that feeling. Thank you. Welcome back. I am glad that you listened, hopefully all the way through, because the information she had to share was incredible. Thank you, Dr. Esther Agnoni, for being on the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I look forward to having you back on the show to share more of your insight into how we can all live a truly healthier life full of lots of energy, strong immune systems, and optimal health. And in other news, definitely head over to 22 Million Strong Training Tribe on Facebook and learn about everything that I'm doing to get ready for my run and cycle across Canada. I will be traversing 
by foot and by pedal 7,100 kilometers from the west coast of Canada to the east coast of Canada in St. John's, Newfoundland, where I'll be stopping along the way to meet with BIPOC communities, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities, as well as um, communities with visible minorities as well. Remote and rural communities is definitely at the top of my list because of the fact that so many communities across Canada are suffering from food deserts. They live in areas where they don't have access to clean, real food, and they don't have the systems in place yet to be growing their food at all. So we're going to be looking at the barriers to accessing fresh produce, so grains and legumes and pulses and beans and fruits and vegetables of a diverse variety. And we're going to try and work with these communities over the next 10 years to help address the food security, food sovereignty um, state that we are all in across Canada and across North America as well. So follow our 22 million strong tour at richerhealth.ca or 22millionstrong.ca and definitely check out my training program at 22 million strong training team on Facebook. Thanks everyone. See you for the next podcast. Bye.